All right. Good morning, everybody. This is what we've been uh, excited for this morning. I'm, I'm happy that you're here. And I just looked online. I saw something like 80-something people. So I'm happy that you're able to be here with us because we have something fun in store for you today that we didn't want to miss out on. And I'm going to begin with a joke. All right. A good one. All right. So watch it. Watch here on this joke. I've been working on this for the past few days just for this morning. A woman had three sons. And her three sons were very, very, very rich sons. And at, after a certain point in time, the woman's husband passed away. Okay, he died as, as he was old. And her three rich sons wanted to cheer up the mother. So they decided they're going to each get her a big gift, something very, very fancy to, to really put a smile on her face. And they made it like a competition. Who could get mom the best thing to make her the most happy? So the first son says, you know what I'm going to do for mom? And he decided to build a big mansion for his mom. Huge house, you know, lots of rooms, four-car garage, the, the showers with the, the nozzles that go, like, all around. Like, huge house. He said he spent uh, more than a million dollars to build his house. Second son said, no, 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 you don't know mom. What mom really loves, what she loves, is a nice Ferrari. All right, he bought her a, a sports car Ferrari. And because he knows she doesn't like to drive and she wouldn't know how to drive that car, he got her her own personal driver. He could drive her around in this nice Ferrari everywhere that she goes. Spent uh, more than $100,000 on this car and the driver. Third son said, no, 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 no. Both of you, you have no idea what makes mom happy. He said what mom loves, she doesn't care about a house or a car. Mom's a simple woman. She loves to read the Bible. But the problem is, is that in her old age, her eyes are going bad, so she can't read like she used to be able to read. So what I got, Mom, is this. A parrot. And a highly, highly trained parrot that has been trained for 12 years in the jungles of Africa by missionaries and has memorized and can recite the entire Bible, start to finish. All Mom needs to do is say the name of the book and the chapter, and the parakeet or the parrot goes and recites the whole thing. He said he spent more than $50,000 for this highly trained parrot. All three give the gift to mom. And then they follow up with the mom. First son says, oh, mom, how'd you like the, the gift, the house? And she said, no, 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 no. I appreciate that you're getting it for me. But, uh, you know, the dog pooped inside because it wasn't used to the new rooms. And then there was a smell. and I didn't know how to clean it. So I didn't even want the house. So I sold it. Some guy sold it uh, to someone on Craigslist for $1,000. Son said, what? $1,000? This mansion I paid $1,000 million? She sold it for $1,000. Second son. says, mom, how'd you like the car? You, uh, you know, the, the coolest lady in town. And the mom said, no, 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 no. At my age, I don't want to look cool. And this driver was just so rude. I, I sold the car with the driver, just wanted to get rid of them, 500 bucks, and this guy took him off my hands. And the son couldn't believe it. The third son said, mom, how'd you like the parrot? And the mom said, oh, thank you so much. That was the best gift that I got. And he said, really? You liked it? You liked the bird, mom? She said, yeah. It was delicious. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. This sermon was recorded in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> 
Nothing is worse than a wasted opportunity when you have something valuable in your hands and you waste it. And nothing is more painful than when you pay a lot of money or put a lot of effort to give someone something so valuable and they throw it down the toilet. Welcome to the Body Shop, STSA family. And in this series, we are going to talk about that very, very same concept, which I believe many of us are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19 says this. And also, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, as sad as it was that lady wasted the parrot and the car and the house, we have in front of us, in our very midst, something much greater than she ever had or that anyone in this universe has, and that is the church. And when I say the church for the purposes of what I'm talking about today, I'm not talking about STSA. I'm not talking about whatever church you're from if you're not from our church. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ, the family of God. What is it to be part of the church? Is something that cannot be explained. As our Lord Jesus Christ said, is that something in this church is mysterious, is mystical, that it has something called the keys to the kingdom of heaven. One of the things that we say about the church all right, is this word that you see up there on your screen, theanthropic, okay? The church is theanthropic. What does theanthropic mean? It's a cool word that I, I learned recently, which if you, if you understand kind of the, the etymology of, of words, it's two words coming together. The, coming from theos, and theos means God, okay? When we say theology is the study of God. And then anthropos, Okay, the anthropic anthropos. Anthropos means man, means human. That's why anthropology is the study of humanity or study of, of mankind. Philanthropy, okay, means means love for man. Okay. So theos, anthropos means a unity or a combining of God and man. The dictionary says it this way, theanthropic is the embodying is embodying deity in human form. Now, if I say to you, embodying deity in human form, your immediate response should be, what's the answer of who or what embodies deity in human form? It's Christ. That, that's what you should say. When you say theanthropic, deity in human form, God in, in, in flesh, you should say that's Jesus Christ. And you are 100% correct that Jesus Christ is the perfect combination of divinity and humanity. He is the Godhead in human, visible, tangible form. But I got news for you. There is someone else or something else which is also theanthropic other than our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the church. Because the church is the body of Christ. And as the head, his nature was theanthropic. God takes flesh. His body, which is the church, is also theanthropic which means that what you see in the church is you see flesh, you see people, you see normal, sinful, annoying, obnoxious, impatient people, just like me and you, like looking in the mirror. 
You see normal, sinful people all around, but what you do not see is in that inside those normal, sinful people is that God is present in a very mysterious and special way. And somehow, inside that body is the keys to the kingdom that our Lord Jesus Christ talked about. Look, get you another verse right here. Look at this verse from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Listen to this verse, and this, again, is talking about the church. Look what St. Paul says. It says, he put all things under his feet and gave him, meaning Christ, to be the head over all things to the church. What is the church? Which is his body. Watch this. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Y'all understand what that verse means? Are, are, are you listening to what that verse is saying? The Bible says that the heavens and the earth cannot contain God. It says the heavens cannot contain God. The earth cannot contain God. Nothing can contain God. God is too big to be contained in anything. But his fullness exists in the church. That's why what I'm saying here is this. What I'm saying is that we are a part of something much bigger than we realize. There is nothing more valuable on this earth that exists than the church. And we are part of it. And I'm not and whether we meet in, in a big cathedral with icons and, and and chandeliers and ceilings and stuff like that, or we meet in a pitted little law school, or we meet online on a snow day when when it's been snowing all it doesn't matter. We are part of the church, something mystical, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Some people say, you know. Uh, Christ came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived on earth, died, rose, ascended up to heaven, and now he's in heaven. That's a false statement. To say that Christ no longer exists on earth is a false statement, because Christ does exist on earth. He exists in the form of his body, which is the church. And when you see the church today, you cannot you can't, Christ in the church is the head and the body. You can't disconnect the two. You can't say, I want Christ, I don't want the body. Or I'm part of the body and I'm not part of, of the head. The two have to be combined together. You cannot invite me to your house and say, bring your head but not your body. You can't say, bring your left arm but not your right arm. You cannot disconnect me because I'm one person. And same thing with Christ. Christ is the church and the church is Christ. And the two cannot be separated from one another. You know, a good example of that is every Sunday when we participate in communion together, every other Sunday other than today, when we participate in communion together, we have Christ is present in the form of his body and his blood on the altar. And every, we don't call them, we don't call them crumbs, okay, because crumbs mean something not valuable. We call them jewels. Every jewel, meaning the smallest part, part of the bread, which is transformed to the body, the smallest part of that. You see the priest at the very end is like very particular to get every small little piece. And if one drops on the floor, watch out. Okay, it's it's we've got to get every small piece that, that, that every goes everywhere because every piece contains the fullness of Christ. Well, I'm saying the same is true in the church is that here we have right now in this room, two, four, six people right here. And we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And just because we're not a thousand people or 10,000 people, just because we're not in a church, we as the church, we have the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's why I say this. I say that being a member of the church is my primary identity. Being a member of the church. Who are you? I'm a member of the church. What's your ethnicity? That's secondary. 
What's your family name? That's secondary. What's your job? That's secondary. All those things are secondary. My primary identity is that I am a member of the body of Christ. I am a member of the church. I am a member of Christ himself. And the best part of being a member of the church is just like little orphan Annie. Okay, we did nothing to deserve it. All right, we were adopted into this family. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit it. or any, We didn't do anything to accomplish it. It's that God and his great love for us said, here I am, this, this, the church, the church which I always say that the church, we, oftentimes we talk about the church started on Pentecost. That's fine. You can say it that way. I, I believe in a, in a little bit of a, of a greater sense, the church actually started way before Pentecost because the church as the family of God or the people of God was from the Old Testament with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David. And those guys are sent members of the same body that I'm a member of today. Okay, the one, one half of the body is, is, is in, in heaven, invisible. One half of the body is here on earth, but it's the same body. Okay, just because you can't see it all, I'm part of the same body as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Moses and all those guys. So this church, okay, the body of Christ, which exists for all these years that we've been adopted in. And that's why when someone says, what are you? I'm, uh, I have it easy, okay, because everyone looks at me and they want to know what church I am because of the way I'm dressed. But I, I, my primary identity, even if I'm not dressed like this, I'm a member of the church, of the body of Christ in some way. Problem is we don't, we don't realize it and we take it for granted. We usually view church as a duty we have to go to, something boring, it's crowded, no place to park, it's snowing. And we view the church in such a small, human, little-minded way. My hope for this series is we can change that. We're going to watch a short little video clip right now, which shows how, unfortunately, too many of us view the church. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Come here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm gonna join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Is church all about me? Is church just, I want this, I need this, this is what makes me happy, makes me comfortable? Or is church supposed to be something more? My hope and my prayer for this series, okay, which I'll, I'll get into some of the specifics in a little bit, is that we would change the way we think of the church and change our view of what the church's role in my life is. Many of us, how common is this belief out on the streets today that I'm good, like, I, I, I'm nice, I pray, 
I don't need the church. It's that whole uh, that I have Jesus, I don't need a religion. Okay, that, that whole way of thinking, which I understand where it's going, but the problem with it is it's minimizing the role of something that Christ didn't minimize. In fact, Christ did the opposite with the role of the church. Christ made the role of the church. He said, to you has been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And inside you, the church, is the power to loose and to bind sins. And whatever the church says, whatever is loosed is loosed in heaven, and whatever is bound is bound in heaven. Our problem today is we live in a culture that cares more about independence and doing things on my own than it does care about doing things together, right? You, you don't need to look any further than, I don't know how, how old you are, okay? Depending on how old you are, you'll understand this a little bit more than others. When I grew up in my neighborhood, everybody knew everybody. And we used to, when we used to come home from school, we would just come home, throw our backpacks, as soon as we got in the door, throw the backpacks, and just go outside and just... Just mess around, look for trouble, okay? Just go knock on, on this guy's door, and can Kevin come out to play, and can Mark, and we would just walk down the creek and do whatever it is, shoot hoops. Like, we would just, oh, everybody knew everybody. Now that doesn't exist anymore. Now you live in a house, and, you, and I bet you the majority of people couldn't name more than three people in their neighborhood. And I bet you you probably living next to someone for so many years, and you probably never said more than hi as you're getting the mail. We live in a society now that is more and more independent than ever before. And in addition to being more independent and doing things on my own, we're more miserable than ever before as well. One of the things that we need to do is make sure that this attitude does not seep into the church. It may exist in the world all around us, and there's nothing we can do about that. But we cannot let it seep into the church, which is I come to church, I'm in my own little bubble, I do my thing, I walk, I get my coffee and I leave, and I, that's it. And I have no interaction with anybody else. We cannot let this I live isolated be a part of the mentality in the body of Christ. And the reason why is because I say this. I say that God has a plan for my life at an individual level, but also as part of his body, and I cannot know one without the other. We just finished this whole series on finding God's will, the great hunt. God has a plan for my life at an individual level. Everybody agrees with that. But he also has a plan for me as part of his body, and I cannot know one without the other. If you go from the very, 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 very beginning, look about when God wanted to speak his will into the life of mankind. In the Old Testament, he didn't speak very, very rarely did he speak to individuals. What God did is God spoke to his people, Israel, the 12 tribes, and they were always in community together. And they lived together, and God spoke to them as a, commun as a communal group, as, as a body. New Testament, it was the 12 apostles, okay? And they were always together. He spoke to them in that way. In the kingdom of heaven, what is heaven going to look like when we get there? If you read in the book of Revelation, it describes the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say that each one is in their own corner doing their quiet time. It doesn't say that each one kind of avoids the other and doesn't talk to this one because this one didn't say hi to me. It says in the, in the kingdom of heaven, it says you have thousands of thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, and singing with one voice, and praising with one voice, and, and, and worshiping the Lord with one voice. We were not meant, God's plan for us was not in isolation. That's why even in the book of Genesis, if you see that when God created the world, created this, created this, created this, created, created this, everything was good, 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 good. But you know the verse in Genesis 2.18 where it says that it is not good for man to be alone. I don't think that Moses could have known God's plan for himself as an individual if Moses rejected God's plan for him in community. 
I don't think that God wanted to reveal himself to Moses, say, this is what I want you to do, this is what I want you to do, and I want you to do this for the people. And if Moses rejected being part of the people, then I don't think he would have realized what God's plan was for him at an individual level. Same thing with David. If David rejected God's plan for him as the king of Israel, then there's no way he could have understood God's will for him at an individual level because the two have to be working in conjunction together. So what is the church? What is the proper view of the church in my life, the role of the church in my life? I'll say this. The church is my salvation. The church is my salvation. Not the church leads me to salvation. Not the church instructs me to salvation. The church is my salvation because the church is Christ. The church is Christ. And you cannot separate Christ from the church. And therefore, you cannot separate the church from salvation. One of the analogies, the metaphors that's often drawn in the writings of the church fathers is about how the church is like Noah's ark. The ark that Noah built, what was it? It was salvation for those who were inside it. And the church is the same way. What Noah's ark was, was you had a storm all around. That's like the world we live in. All kinds of, of, of problems and, and, and destruction and diseases and sicknesses and sin and all kinds of stuff all around. And certain people found their way inside the wood of the ark. And those who were inside found salvation. They were saved. Those who were outside perished. In the same way, we say that the church is Noah's ark in this world today. That the world outside is messed up. The world outside has problems. And, and their, the effects of sin are evident all around. Whether it's sin that leads to, sin always leads to death. So whether it leads to death of relationships, whether it leads to death of peace and joy, whether it leads to death of love, the effects of sin are all around. The only salvation is inside the church. Watch this quote from a church, from one of the saints of the church named St. Cyprian from Carthage. He said, if someone who was outside of the ark of Noah could escape, so could also someone who was outside the church. Those are strong words. Let me say that again. He's saying if someone who was outside of the ark of Noah could escape, then so also could someone who was outside the church. Let me ask you a question. Could someone outside the ark of Noah have escaped? Could someone say, nah, I'm gonna, I'll just, I, I, I took swim lessons. I'll be okay. No, either you were in the ark or you died. And the church fathers say that the church is the same way. Watch what I'm about to say right now, and this is gonna, this is gonna, might offend some, but I'll explain it. The church fathers say there is no salvation outside of the church. There is no salvation outside of the church. Now, with that said, before anybody flips out, I'm not saying there's no salvation outside of my church. I'm not saying there's no salvation outside of STSA or my denomination. I'm not saying it like that. That, that, that's watering down the church in, in, a, in a bad way. Outside of the church of Christ, okay, the body of Christ, there's no salvation. Now, even the church fathers say, what defines being in the body of Christ, this is not for us to say. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm not, because I'll say this, you may just walk into church every Sunday, and that doesn't mean you're part of the body of Christ, all right? So there is no salvation outside of the church. What it means to be a member of the church, I cannot define. Only God can define. But I can have that mentality that I must be. The church is my identity. The church is my salvation. The church is not someplace I go when the weather is nice. The church is not someplace I go because I want to be entertained or see my friends. The church is my salvation. The church is, to me, 
There's Noah's Ark is flying all around, or the storm, and there's Noah's Ark. And the church is, I have to be inside there. It's my life. It is my salvation. Now imagine that you were inside the Ark of Noah. Imagine that you were inside the Ark of Noah. And imagine, you know, you're a, um, you know, you're a giraffe, all right, or you're a, a monkey, all right, or you're a bumblebee or whatever it is that you are. And you see, what's, think of an animal with no value. Okay, what's an animal with no value? I, I came up with squirrels, okay? They just annoy me, eat up the things in my lawn and run on my thing and they're in my attic and I hate the squirrels, okay? So let's say you see a squirrel over there in the corner and that squirrel, you hate that squirrel and, and everyone hates that squirrel. It just eats the nuts and he's no good, squirrel. And then all of a sudden that squirrel, who's lucky to be inside the ark, says, you know what? It's kind of hot in here. I don't like it being in here. And he starts to complain. Someone uh, fix the temperature in here? And uh, how come the giraffe keeps putting the bananas too high up? I can't reach the, the bananas. I want to eat those things. How would you feel if you are Noah, okay, and you gathered up that dumb, worthless little squirrel, and you put him inside the ark, and he is complaining, and he is saying, it's hot in here, no bananas, no indoor plumbing. Like, you, excuse me, you're the luckiest person in the world to be inside this ark. That's the way we are in the church. Me being in the church, me being in the church, jackpot. I actually shared this last week at Momentum. I say that even though I know we're not supposed to believe in luck, I don't believe in luck, it's bad, okay? But I was saying this at Momentum last week. I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world because I get to work in the church. You know what it means that I get to work in the church? That means that every one of us has ups and downs. And sometimes you get pulled into work. Well, if I get pulled into work, I get pulled more into the church. I get suckered into being more involved in the church and being more engaged in the church and being deeper. I, I say, you know what? That's why I never say I make a sacrifice by being what I am or doing what I do. I say I'm the luckiest, even though I don't believe in luck, I'm the luckiest person in the world because I get to spend my whole life inside the ark where there is my salvation. Look at this verse right here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. It says, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're the lucky squirrel. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Why is the church the body of Christ? Because as it said in that verse, it is the dwelling place of God's spirit. And if God lives in it, then therefore it is the body of Christ. And we have the greatest honor in the world to be part of this body. Now, with all that said, what's our part? What's our role? Because if something is given to us that is very, very precious, then we have to do our part. Like the story in the beginning with the big gifts. Okay, she wasted those gifts. She was given something valuable. She squandered it. Okay, imagine someone who receives a scholarship, all right, to a, a great university when he ain't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but somehow he lucks out, he gets this scholarship. Boy, you better study hard, you better take care of your business, you better not party, because you were given something very, very valuable and very, very precious. That's how we are. How precious what we were given? Look at this next verse, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. St. Paul talks about the church, and he says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, watch this, which he purchased with his own blood. 
In case you were not convinced of the value of the church in your own life, St. Paul says that the blood that the church of God was paid for, was paid for by the blood of Christ himself. And if Christ shed his blood for the church, then that should show you its importance in his mind and therefore should be that much more important in my own mind. A minute ago I said you got a scholarship to whatever university when you're not the sharpest guy. Imagine that it's not just a scholarship anymore. Imagine that it's your own father, blood, sweat, and tears, worked three jobs through the night shift to pay for you to go to college. And now that you see that he made that sacrifice and it's that important for him, it should be that much more important to you as well. So what we're going to do in this series is we're going to ask ourselves this question. If I've been given something this precious, which is the body of Christ, what does it mean to be a healthy member of the church? What does it mean to be a healthy member of the body of Christ? That's why we're calling this the body shop. All right. If you go to a hospital and you say, you know, I got a problem. The first thing the hospital does is they check your vitals, right? They check your, uh, your temperature, your heart rate, your blood pressure, um, the things that sees how strong your muscles are, okay, whatever it may be, they check your vitals and they make sure, are you okay in this, okay in this, okay in this, okay in this? And then they go deeper and, and, and see, you know, what the problem may be. Same thing if you go to a mechanic. First thing that they're gonna do is check certain things. Make sure, do you have gas in the car? You say, my car doesn't go. Does it have gas? Okay, does it have oil? Is, there, is the tires, do they have air? They're gonna check certain vital signs. Well, what we're gonna do in this series is we are going to check five vital signs of every healthy member of the body of Christ. Five signs that if you are a healthy, growing member of the Christ church, of, of the body of Christ, then we should see these five things in your life. And they are based on a passage from Acts chapter 2. And why Acts is so important when it comes to knowing what it means to be a member of the church, I always look at it this way. The Gospels give us the teachings of Christ. The, the book of Acts gives us the practice of those teachings, okay? So in the, in, the, in the Gospels, Christ taught us to love. And in the book of Acts, we see how to love. Christ taught us to forgive. In the book of Acts, we see how to forgive. Christ taught us that we should preach. In the book of Acts, we see how to preach. So what the Gospels are in theory, Acts is in practice. So let's go to the book of Acts. And we'll go to Acts chapter 2 and just read five verses, which I'm not really going to get into right now, just kind of set the tone. These five verses show us the practices that define a healthy member of the body of Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That, that passage leads us to what you see here, the five pillars of STSA, which again, I'm not going to go into them right now, but this, our STSA vision statement, which, which you see on your handout, says that we believe that the church of the New Testament, which we just read about, is alive today because it's the body of Christ. And that body of the Christ should exhibit these five characteristics at all times. That's why we say these are the five pillars of STSA. First of all, they were a church that as soon as you looked at them, you saw community and fellowship. 
major importance to that, to that group of people. Number two, worship and prayer. They were not just hanging out. They were always worshiping God. Doctrine, number three, doctrine and spiritual maturity. They were growing, not just existing, but growing. Number four, sacrifice and giving. They were constantly making sacrifices and giving of what they had for the sake of the others. And number five, that God was adding daily to them believers through evangelism and witnessing. These five pillars, these five pillars are the signs of a healthy member of the body of Christ. What does that mean practically? That means what we're going to do in this series is we're going to go through each and every single one of these. Every week we're going to look at different one of these pillars, these vital signs, and we're going to see, I'm going to judge myself. Where am I as far as each of these? Am I engaged in community and fellowship? Do I lead a life of worship and prayer? Am I growing spiritually? Am I making sacrifices? And am I witnessing to God in some way, shape, or form? Listen carefully to this. It is not enough to have four of the five pillars in your life. You must have all five. It is not enough to say, well, I'm really, really, really good at fellowship and prayer. Uh, I don't worry too much about giving or sacrificing. It is not enough to have four of the five. You must have all five. You say, hey, wait a minute. Why? That's asking too much. Okay, so you got a good heart rate. And you got good blood pressure, but you cannot breathe. So therefore, no matter how good your heart is, no matter how good your blood pressure is, no matter how good your temperature is, if your lungs don't work, that doesn't work. You have a car. You say, well, I put the best oil inside it. Okay, but you have no gas inside it. So no matter how great the oil is, you can have 10,000 jars of that great oil. If you have no gas, it will not work. You must have all of these characteristics. I must be able to look at my life at a snapshot and say, where's their community and fellowship? Where's their worship and prayer? Where's their spiritual growth? Where's their sacrifice and giving? And where's their evangelism and witnessing? And if anyone is not there, Houston, we have a problem. Not only do I need to do these things individually, but also as you saw right there in that passage, is that they were doing them together as well. Like they weren't just worship and prayer individually, they worship and prayer together. They weren't just growing individually. They were growing together in the apostles' doctrine. They weren't just evangelizing on their own. It was group efforts, okay? Therefore, one of the things that's going to be critical to this series and to understanding this message is being part of a life group. And I announced it earlier, and I've been announcing over the past several weeks, I really hope that every single person joins a life group. It's only a six-week commitment. So I can read some of your minds. I'm busy. I don't have time. I did it before. It stunk. The people are annoying. I understand all those things. But I'm telling you, if Christ shed his blood for the sake of the church, and the church teaches us that a communal life is what is needed, then it's worth six weeks of your time and investment to give it a try and to see. Join a group for six weeks because we don't need just to pray. We need to pray together. We don't need just to have fellowship with our family. We need to have fellowship together. We don't need just to, to make sacrifice for ourselves or for people in the street. We need to make sacrifice for the rest of the body of Christ. We need to be doing these things together, growing together, giving together, witnessing together. One of the things that I love is that God never said, call me my father. He never said, call me my father. He said, call me our father. He never said, when you pray, say, my father who art in heaven. He said, our father, showing that we should be praying together and that our relationship with God, yes, there's an individual component, but there's also a communal component. And if you neglect, if you neglect the individual, that's bad. Okay, and we all know that. But if you neglect the communal, that's equally as bad. 
because God doesn't want to be our father, or my father. He wants to be our father. Last verse that I hope I convinced you. If I didn't convince you, I'll give you this last verse. Hopefully this one does it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, talking about you as members of the church, the body of Christ, you are a chosen generation. You're Orphan Annie right here. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What is the church? The church is... Last picture right here. When I participate in the life of the church, I participate in the life of Christ. What the church is, the church is my salvation. The church is not just a creed that I acknowledge or I accept mentally. The church is a body that I am part of. That's why I, I whenever, like don't ever say, I go to STSA. Don't say that, okay? Or whatever your church is, don't say I go to it. I don't like to say I go to STSA. I am STSA. I am the church. I don't go to a church. Like, I don't say I go to have dinner with the Mesa family every day. No, I am the Mesa family. Like, I'm, I'm an important, hopefully, an important part of it. I am the Mesa family. I am the church. I am STSA. And for me, when I participate in the life of the church, I participate in the life of the head of the church, which is Christ himself. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and pray. You're welcome to stand up if you'd like, okay? I'm already standing, okay? So let's bow our heads, okay, and say a short prayer together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for your church that you've given to us at the price of your own blood. You've given to us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. You've given us everything that we need to know you inside your church. Lord, we, we repent for taking your church for granted. And we ask that during these holy days of Lent that you'd help us to come back to the true meaning of what it means to be part of your body and be part of the church. And you'd help us to, to be healthy members and to understand the areas where we need to work on and that we might work on them together, encouraging one another, supporting one another, lifting one another up, being that Acts 2 New Testament church, that when people see us, they see the community and fellowship, they see the worship and prayer, they see the spiritual growth, they see the sacrificing, and they see the witness to your true beauty in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would accept the prayers which have been offered to you this day, that you'd really bless every member of this church, and that you'd, you'd bless the life groups as they begin this week, and you'd make them fantastic and let people to really find encouragement and fellowship with one another and, and to do all the different projects that we have planned in those life groups together with, with, with a true spirit of joy and love and fellowship. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. In case you're wondering, 
What do I do? What do I sign up for life groups? We got it easy for you. Go down below this video, okay, in the, the description section, you'll see a link to sign up for life groups. Make sure you sign up for a life group. Sign up for a life group today. And in case you need some added motivation, got a short little video clip that you can watch uh, as we wrap up right here. I will see you all next week. Have a great week, guys. Hey, Peter, what's up? What's with the, the note cards and the, and the microphone? Yeah, I'm trying to conduct some interviews, figure out why people don't want to sign up for life groups. I'm trying to get to the bottom of this, getting some feedback, and we're going to make changes here. We want people to sign up, Shireen. I, I don't know what you mean. I mean, people seem to love life groups. I think it's just a matter of advertising it and letting people know, hey, it's time to sign up. Yeah, I know. They hate life groups. Exactly. Thank you for sharing my sentiments. No, but I... Again, Peter, I don't think you're hearing what I'm trying to say. I don't think anyone hates life groups. I mean, what's not to love? I mean, you get to make meaningful friendships, you get free food, it's a great break from your busy week, and, and you get to dive into God's Word. I really think it's just a matter of telling people, this is the time to sign up for life groups. Yeah, I, I know, I completely agree. They, they can't stand life groups, they hate it, they don't want to sign up, they don't want to be next to people, open up or anything. We're, we're going to figure this out for you. Thank you, thank you. Completely agree. Hey, Garrett. Hey, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well. Sorry I interrupted. Are you still thirsty? No, I can you're... give you like five more seconds. No, no, no. I'm, I'm totally you're, fine. You're good? You're yeah, hydrated? You're good. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Well, so I just wanted to ask you a couple questions. Mm -hmm. Recently, people seem to be hating the idea of life groups and joining life groups. So I really wanted to ask you why you hate life groups so much. I actually don't hate life groups at all here. I love life groups. I was feeling kind of out of place on Sundays, and life groups provide a way for me to meet new people in the area. I think they're great. You know, Vera, you don't really have to slam the idea of life groups. What? We're trying to get better. We're going to improve. But you don't have to criticize everything about it. You know, people work hard setting this up. No, Peter, I don't think you're, you're understanding what I'm saying. I'm I'm not knocking life groups. I love them. I'm actually encouraging other people to sign up for them. Thank you very much, Peter. Just continue drinking water. Well, that went absolutely nowhere. Okay, let's just find somebody who has something a little bit more positive to say about life groups. And, you know, we'll just carry on the interviews. All right, got it. Hey, Mom. Yeah, I'll be right outside. No, I know it's cold. I, you forgot your coat in here. No, it's okay. I'll be right there, so don't worry. I know it's really freezing and the wind is picking up. I know you don't feel your leg, but it's okay. I'll be right there, okay? All right, bye. Uh, before you go, was, it, was that your mom? Yeah, Peter, what's up? Uh, uh, tell her I say hi. Uh, she's probably really cold. I still take notes. Okay. So yeah. I, I just want to do this often piece on why people aren't necessarily joining life groups, or if they have anything to comment on the life group joining process, or life groups in general. Just trying to get some feedback from people. Yeah, I'll definitely comment. So, you know, I just did a life group last session, and I really wanted to try it out because I wasn't feeling connected to God. I wasn't really comfortable with my spirituality, and I was trying to just, you know, figure out this whole praying out loud thing too. Um, so I just wanted to try it out. So that's why I joined Electric last time. So you hated it. You thought people weren't too welcoming. That's kind of the gist. It turned you away from life groups. No, the opposite of that. They were so kind. Everyone was so welcoming. They were hospitable. If I didn't feel comfortable with anything, if I didn't feel comfortable praying out loud. They were so accepting, and they just accepted me for who I was, and it was amazing. So it, it seems like they weren't really hospitable. They didn't get you comfortable. You weren't in a comfort zone where you could feel like you could pray out loud and share, you know, some intimate 
secrets or, or events in your life where you can connect with people. It, it seems like we need to work on this hospitable thing. Not at all. I mean, they just made they made it such a comfortable place. Whatever we said was kept in confidence, and we just all really grew spiritually together. It was wonderful. In fact, it was so wonderful, I want to do it again this time. Do you know when the next session is starting? It's obviously very clear. There's some issues we need to work out internally before we launch life groups. People don't really relate. They don't feel comfortable. They're not getting the spiritual benefit. Look, we're going to work on this. This, this isn't going anywhere. No, but seriously, when are they, Peter, when are they starting? I want to sign up again. Strange. I mean, no one had anything bad or negative to say at all. No one was shy. No one was timid. They just kept asking, like, really difficult questions. Like, you know, when does life group start? Or how do I sign up? How do I join? And I just don't have the answers. I mean, Peter, this is great news. I mean, why is this upsetting you? Well, it's not what I prepared for. I, I had these note cards lined up for when people are going to give me these, you know, strange reasons and... and Talk about why they didn't want to join, why they didn't want to sign up. I didn't know it was going that well. Can I can see them? Yeah, I mean, I worked hard. At least someone should look at them. Peter, these, these are great. Yeah, I know. I, I wrote them. I know just what to do with them. 